Hi, welcome to season two, episode four of the Lions Peg Bar and Grill. Um, special guest host being me. That's Wesley Louis. Wesley Louis, that's right. Um, we've got a LaShawn Thomas, who is an animation director, producer, designer, just a beast of a draftsman. You might know him from such series as The Boondocks, Black Dynamite, A Legend of Korra. And recently he's just released his crowdfunded project, uh, Cannon Busters and uh, Children of the Ether, which is to appear on uh, Crunchyroll. So he's developing that at the moment. Yeah, um, I'm quite honoured to actually be on this podcast. Um, LaShawn has been a huge inspiration to me for many years and just being able to meet up with him and talk to him and, and just geek out over stuff was incredible. So um, I'm really grateful to be here. I'm actually glad that Tim was away so that I could do this. Sorry, Tim. <laughs> this one's actually quite a long podcast, so I think we're going to break it up into two parts. So we'll have one this week and one next week. If you're interested in getting in touch and telling us what you think about the episode, we're part of an animation team called The Line. Our website is www.thelineanimation.com. So if you go to our website and click any of the social links at the top of the site, it will take you to our Instagram, our Vimeo, our Twitter, our SoundCloud. So thanks again to LaShawn and be sure to tune in next week for the second part of the podcast. Thanks very much. Enjoy. Enjoy. must be a very busy person right um i don't i don't really look at it that way i think there's like a certain kind of like rushed apprehension to like do work and i think considering our lifestyles and the type of projects we work on they're usually it's hard for me to measure time in like days i measure time based according to my schedule so it's really easy for me to block out a week or a month or like six months it's all centered around main production, storyboards, deadlines. I'm not, I spend more time, unfortunately, thinking about how much I need to get done, you know, then. So I don't really think about, like, what I'm accomplishing because I'm always, like, stuck on, like, okay, so when's my deadline? Like, how much time do I have? Can I squeeze a, can I squeeze a day off? And you, you know how it is working. I mean, or maybe you don't, but, like, for me, like, it, after a while, like, I, there's a, there's a chunk of years that I don't remember. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's, I can remember, it's like music, I can remember days based off of what point of production I was on one particular show. It like, it's like a song, you, you hear a song and you're like, oh, I don't, I can't remember that moment, but then you hear a song, you're like, oh my God, I was doing this when that happened. That's kind of how, with me. So I don't really look at, like, oh, I'm doing a lot in a short period of time. It's sort of like, yeah. okay, rent's due. How do I, uh, I do, yeah. how do I make this happen, you know? Yeah. Um, but I guess so. You know, I was having a conversation. What's the gentleman's name? You and I, me and Wes. Where were we talking? The gentleman we were talking to outside when you met me in front oh, of Gosh. Um, Gun. Gun. Yeah. So I met. We met uh, Gun outside of um, Gosh. Yeah. Gun. And you like know, I met Gun through uh, my my buddy Robert. You know, I've yeah, known yeah, Robert yeah. since he was 16 years old. Yeah. And I remember distinctively. I remember specifically one year Robert was like, "Yo, man, like." dudes are freaking out over your stuff in, in Europe. And I was like, what are you talking about? Yeah, you know, yeah, this was yeah. when I was like 31 or whatever. And um, and he showed me, a, I remember he sent me a photo of someone's desk or table and he had one of my drawings that taped. That may have been mine. 
Oh, was it? Right. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't right. know who it was. It was funny because I was with, so Gern, his, his real name is Thomas Ede, and we were at your talk yesterday at uh, MCM Comic Con, and, uh, and he turned to me and he's like, you remember, you remember you had this guy's drawings on your desk for like five years, <laughs> and every time I moved to a new studio, I had you put your drawings back that's up so again, random. so I've been following you for a long time. Uh, man, that's incredibly humbling. I don't really know what to say. Because I, I was, like today while we were, while we were doing some research for this interview, uh, I was looking back over your site, and uh, I was looking at uh, some of your old drawings, and I came across exactly the one that I had up wow, on Wow, is that right? Uh, and it was, uh, it was a bunch of drawings of, I think they were like warm-up drawings, yeah, and yeah. you said something like, "I did these in Los Feliz, uh, in a coffee shop somewhere." Oh, was the dr- I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, it's it was like, like a bunch of like anatomy studies, women and, in like black pants, exactly. like long hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There were like silhouettes. Oh, no, were, like, I remember those drawings. Those were like actually. silhouettes. Exactly there were freehand silhouette studies. I did them in a cafe. That was that's so funny. You, you know, that was an interesting time period that you brought that up. That was bef- that was back in like I think oh oh eight, oh seven, oh eight. And that was when I be- started feeling really self-conscious about my work. I felt like I was becoming repetitive. And my work started, I started, I was, I was under so many deadlines that I wasn't drawing to get better. I was drawing just to meet my deadlines. So I kept relying on just my little tricks and techniques to get me by. Yeah, yeah. And um, so I just, I just like, I was like, man, like I need to like change my style or, or something. And I realized I needed to like study from life more. So I found these free art classes in Los Feliz. This this married couple had this awesome art gallery, this like garage that they turned into a studio. And you paid like, you know, 30 bucks a month and you just roll and they'd have it every Wednesday, every Wednesday and Friday at like 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. And it was really nice, quiet. All ages were there, old people, young people, and naked, nude, nude models. And you'd go in. It was their house. And they yeah. had their garage out making some extra cash. And the wife was an amazing painter, young lady. And I would go there and just draw like life drawings for like three, four hours. And then I would leave. But I remember this in Los Feliz, they had this really nice cafe I'd like to go to. Because sometimes I'd get there a little early, so I yeah. would like go to the cafe, have a just coffee, and just and I was doing those sketches to kind of warm up to see how good I had gotten at memorizing gesture and silhouette. Because those were just gesture and silhouette studies. I wasn't trying to draw realistic anatomy. I was just trying to, and I was focusing on back shots and like bending over and foreshortening. So if you look at, the, if you remember those drawings, there were always like a girl bending over or like. Yeah. The hips and the foot. I could tell coming exactly what right you were trying to do. And yeah, it, and yeah. it struck me at that time because I did a lot of life drawing in university. And uh, there, there came a point where I realized that I could do it in the class, okay. But as soon as I went away and I had to do it myself, I didn't have the shorthand yeah, to do yeah, the same yeah, kind of drawings. Yeah. And, I, and I needed to figure out how to do it. So I, I was trawling through the internet trying to find things that would uh, be relevant to that kind of. Uh, that kind of progression that I wanted to achieve. Uh, and uh, your drawings were, were it. It was just like, and the fact that you said, I did these off the top of my head. I was yeah, like, this yeah, is yeah. the kind of thing I need to do. Yeah, it's exactly were, the kind of thing I need to right. do. That's right. They were like, I remember they were like 20 second sketches. Wait. Yeah, they were 20 second apiece. Yeah. I mean, they were really loose. Yeah, yeah. Really loose. Because I draw outside in. I don't build shape. Because I'm so used to using a light box. Oh. I'm so used to going straight to clean that... I've almost created a shorthand for myself to kind of guess stuff. If I flip it, it'll be wonky. I'd have to adjust it, but for yeah. the most part. So you combine that shorthand with sketching. It was just kind of like, if it feels right, then I just keep going. That's an know? amazing thing to be able to do, like to, to have that, um, to be able to build things up in silhouette. I'm, 
I'm completely different. I think I start from the middle and build out. Yeah, 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 like yeah, you, yeah. You start really rough and you do a stick figure and then you do yeah. all the other stuff around it, but it takes it for eight, forever yeah, to do that yeah, kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. You know? so it's interesting. I always start from the, the head, head down. Oh, right. Like, yeah, I just from the head and just scribble my way down, and, you know. I so still, inside I out and, you know, I, yeah. It's so, it's so interesting to see how people start drawings like... Who's that Korean guy? Amazing dude. Kim Jong-ji. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, it starts from yeah. the eyelash, I hope right? I'm pronouncing it. Kim Jong-gi or Kim jong I think it's Kim Jong-gi. Yeah, he's a beast. Yeah. He doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> it starts from the eyelash and works out and down oh, to the yeah. toes. Yeah, he, ma- he doesn't make it. I mean, I still use a crosshair when I'm drawing. Yeah, heads, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. like, um, I mean, depending on the circumstance, but like, it's always like humbling to be able to to be in that space because yeah, I feel like one of the few rare gifts we get in this in this thing that we do is to be able to like inspire complete strangers to like want to yeah. take it to the next level, yeah. better than you have or whatever that subjective yeah. better is, you know. So it's it's like that's like magic to me. You know what I'm saying? Like it's like how do you affect someone directly to get them to like invest energy on their own time, their own motivation? Like and to be able to do that. With artists, it's really cool. It's a way to connect, you know. So, because you spend a lot of time, um, I mean, it's amazing that at that time you were on like IRC or whatever, talking to Robert. So I went to university with Robert and and Gunn, uh, and you, what, what, it was like Instant Messenger or something that you were. It was to AIM. It yeah, was yeah. AIM. AIM is AOL Instant Messenger. Was you saying when I met Rob? Yeah, Rob. Yeah, when I met Rob, it was like AOL was pretty new it was like yeah. turn of the century like 2002 to yeah. you know around that right, time yeah. you know so it was fairly new that was the way we were interacting and uh you know rob was just you know one of those guys that like uh made me feel old before i was old you know right you know, <laughs> and, uh, um you know, it's weird when you're like you know, 26, 27, and guys are like, oh, my God, man, like, yeah, yeah. I remember when you did this, and I'm like, dude, that was like three years ago, but to him, he was like 12, you know what I'm saying, so it's, it was, it was, and we just stayed in touch, you know, um, that's how I'd known him, and, you know, knowing him since he was 16, to see him like a grown man, and, you know, developing is cool, I have another relationship like that, a gentleman named um, Chase Conley, Chase's, yeah, I've seen yeah, see, yeah. his work. I think I saw his work through your um, Tumblr, actually. Oh, man, yeah, he's yeah. incredible, man. Yeah, incredible guy. Like, St. Chase, he yeah. goes by St. Chase online. He's Chase Conley. I met him in Charlotte back in, like, when I lived in uh, South, uh, when I lived in North Carolina for a couple of years. I was at the Charlotte convention. There was a convention and it's called the Charlotte Con. And, you know, we we're at one of these booths for this, this American artist, um, Brian Stelfreeze. was a giant crowd. And Stelfreeze always draws a crowd because he likes to share knowledge and teach guys and stuff. Really, really good in-depth critiques. And I peeked over the crowd, and it was this little young, skinny dude. You know what I mean? Like, do-rag, you know, fitted cap, you know, oversized, you know, <laughs> you know extra-large shirt or whatever. Um, and uh, it was this kid, Chase. He was, like, 17, and his work was just incredible. You know, so I can't remember exactly how we connected, but I do remember talking to him and be like, yo, man, we need to stay in touch. He's like, yeah, I know who you are. You're LaShawn Thomas. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Whatever that means. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. But um, he's another guy. We stayed in touch for a long time. And then he, we met each other. The first time we met each other in person was when he visited Korea with his buddy. He visited Busan, the city south of Seoul, um, and then came up with his buddy Billy. And I was living in South Korea at the time in Seoul, working on Legend of Korra, book one. This was like 2011. And uh, 
we we like hung out for the first time in Korea. I took him to my favorite art bookstores and all of that That's stuff. Awesome. And then uh, a year and a half, I think like a year later, you know, Black Dynamite, the animated series, fell into my lap, and I had to relocate back to the states. And Chase was through Carl Jones by yeah. by way of knowing me, was hired to be the um, supervising character designer. That was his first animation gig. He had moved to L.A. for that. So it's like I met him at. You know, I met him at yeah. you know, 16, 17, yeah. and then I'm working with him, you know. Yeah, no, he's... Almost 10, 12 years later, so... Yeah, his work is, like, it's phenomenal. Like, even his painting stuff Yeah, as well. Chase it's is... Like, he's special. Yeah, special I've just been dude. going through his Instagram, just like, like... Yeah, like, man, like, he's he's know? a beast. And he's prolific, too, which is really what I like about him, you know. Yeah. So, he makes yeah, me really good. feel good. Because, you know, what we do is it's an isolated job. It could be... It could be lonely, you know. You spend large amounts of time by yourself, stationary working. So when I see people put in that kind of work, I'm like, not only is it impressive, but I'm like, all right, I'm I'm not alone in this. There are other guys like in solitary com- creative confinement. You know? But you, yeah. you you I think you more than a lot of other people kind of make an effort to engage on social media platforms like Twitter and uh, Tumblr and stuff. And I see you talking, having long kind of sometimes arguments with people. So, you know, verbal disputes. Yeah, yeah. disputes. They're yeah. never arguments. They're like intellectual verbal disputes. Yeah, like on, yeah, on your deviant art as well. Yeah, like, yeah, you yeah, do yeah, it in I'm a classy way. Yeah, 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 yeah. Off. yeah. I mean, if it was me 10 years ago, I'd be like, you know, insulting. But, like, <laughs> but you know, it's like you get older, it's like, like, come on, dude, if we were talking in person, you wouldn't be talking to me this way. So yeah, there's yeah, no yeah. need for me to like, you know, throw any negative energy. But I, I try to, you know, um, I didn't have that coming up. You know, I'm 40, so, you know, when I was 15, like, it was like the late 80s, right? Yeah, like, yeah. There was no There's internet. No one to talk to. You know, they were like sky pages and shit, you know, like, pardon my French, but I didn't have that. I didn't have that interactivity to be able to just talk to my favorite artists, you know? Um, so when I felt like I was in a position that I could reach out to people, you know, I felt like trying to, like, you know, share that knowledge as much as I can to people who are willing to listen, you know, I would, you know, so, um, there were some people who were, were, I heard from people, from other people that, you know, people weren't too happy about my, uh, the way I presented myself online. And I think largely is rooted in, um, you know, as artists, you're not supposed to sell yourself. I mean, before the internet, it really wasn't about selling yourself. You know, you had to be picked, so to speak. I mean, I don't know about you, but. So, um, so what, the way you. Just you, pres- you know, selling yeah. myself. Hey, I'm storyboarding. This is what I'm working on. Yada yada yeah. yada. Like when the internet first really? came out, and okay, when right, blogs okay. were coming around. Yeah, you know, it's, you have this kind of crossover period where you have artists that are like, oh, I'm not gonna put up a blog and show off my artwork because yeah, you know, yeah. I don't want to be. I'm not a showman. I'm not gonna yeah. like promote. But either they're not a showman, they're shy, or they just don't. They're not business savvy. But yeah, yeah. when the internet came out and the blog was invented, I saw that as like no more trying to like send my portfolio samples to people. I'm just going to put content out there. And it's kind of double-edged sword, I guess, because you it removes the gatekeepers, but then it makes you have to be the salesman. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, but there's and that's kind of an ugly thing sometimes, you Perhaps. know, I guess. But, but to an extent, if you embrace that, then uh, you have a, a greater level of freedom. I think, I think the key to that is, for me, and I figured it out, was that it's not me selling myself to the people, I had to, to the studios, but I had to like use that as a platform to talk to younger artists. So it's, for me, you know, someone put it really funny. There's a guy named, uh, um, uh, I forgot the brother's name, but he, uh, his name escapes me at the moment, I'll remember later. But he, he wrote something online about me that basically said, LaShawn has mastered the art 
of showing people just how dope his shit is without pissing people off. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and I just thought that was such a funny thing. I mean, he was talking in reference to the Soul Sessions thing. He's like, this guy is like showing off how incredible he is, but he's not saying, look how incredible I am. He's saying, hey, check this out. This is what I do and how I do it, and I'm learning as I go. So, so you invented the humble brag. I don't know, but I don't. I wouldn't call it that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I, you know, for me, like when I do these things, like you say, like reaching out to people and so on and so forth, it's just my way of trying to validate what it is I do by finding other people who are into the same things I'm into. And I think the social media platform is, is an excellent tool to kind of exploit that, so to speak. You know, um, some people see it as a negative, but I see it as like, look, if, you know, if, if you have content and you have a corner, I mean, now it's silly to talk about it. That's that, that's that quo now, you know, like, but around 2000, 2001, like you needed to be spoken for, at least as far as I saw it, like someone needed to handpick you and then promote you. Yeah. If you were promoting your own stuff, then you were kind of like, oh, this guy's egotistical or, you know, whatever. But now it's like, you yeah. I am not, I'm not going to name names, but I've seen guys back like 10, 15 years ago who were like against that. And now they're like, they're just you know, plugging like, like they're like whores online. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, bye, bye, bye. Hey, I'm paying for commissions. Go to my store. Da, yeah, da, da, da. Yeah. And these same guys were kind of like, uh, they turn their noses up you know, it. turn your nose up at it. So, you know, you become a byproduct of the times, you know, and I think I, don't, I wouldn't say I was ahead of the curve, but I just think I was more eager to reach out and find people who are into the stuff that I was into. Because you needed to be at studios to pull it, to, to find other people at back then. Now it's like... Yeah. I, I was I was definitely shy about putting my work up online, actually. Like when um, it was Christian, Christian Antonelli, he told me to, you should get a blog and put it up and put your work and stuff. And I was just like, no, I don't want to do it because people will hate it and stuff. Yeah, and whatever. But, yeah, but as soon yeah. as you do it, it's yeah. like the fear just disappears. So... You know, I was definitely one of the shy ones, but yes, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely, it takes a while, you know, yeah. but I, I, you know, I get, I don't know, like, I've always been kind of like the type of cat to like sort of impose my personality on complete strangers, and I just think that comes from my upbringing, like, I'm, I'm one of five in a single household, you know, single mom household, so like, being a second born of five kids, like, you kind of had to like, you know, the the person who screamed the loudest was, you know, paid attention to, you know what I mean? So, um, I don't know, I, I'd attribute it to that and growing up in New York and just meeting so many different types of people, you know, if you got a skill set the way I was raised, you, you if you were good at something, I automatically assumed that you had some portion of that skill saved to do your own stuff, you know what I mean? So, so t- can you tell us a bit about, like, growing up and how you got into animation? Um, I started off wanting to be a comic book artist. That was my thing. Like, So you grew up in New York City? Yeah, I grew up in the South Bronx, born and raised. Um, I was born in 1975. Um, what happened in 1975? A lot happened in 1975. That was you a weird, were born? That was a weird year. I was born. <laughs> what, the first condom commercial was aired in 1975. Is that right? Yeah. Um, personal computer was, was founded in that time. You know, Franco bit the bullet that year. Vietnam War ended that year. A lot of, a lot of happened. A lot of things happened in 1975. So I'm kind of a byproduct of, I would say, like, I'm like the post civil rights generation, first generation post civil rights kid, born in '75, was 10 years old by 1985. You know, um, 
you know, and if they released that uh, condom commercial nine months <laughs> earlier, who knows <laughs> would what would have happened? <laughs> yeah, I love to see it. But no, seriously, like, so I was born in '75. I grew up in the South Bronx, so I kind of grew up like you know Reaganomics, crack epidemic, you know, war on drugs, mm-hmm. hip hop, the birth of hip hop. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It was like a really interesting time period growing up in New York City during that time and. Um, Growing up, I grew up in a largely diverse neighborhood, black, Puerto Rican, Dominican neighborhood. So most of my colleagues and friends were, you know, either Puerto Rican or Dominican if they weren't black. So um, I had a lot of colleagues who were really into drawing. And I remember the first time I got exposed to a comic book that I saw as like, I could draw on my own or I could potentially look at these drawings and admire it. And like, was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the black and white comics. It was like oh, the wow, first okay. time I seen a violent comic book was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It was, it was drawn by, I think it was, was it Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird Fair who that, did yeah. that comic? Yeah. And like, I remember seeing these comics, these black and white comics and these like crazy, like, you know, heavy brush ink style and like these turtles with these slit eyes and like they were fighting this guy called Shredder and it was like <laughs> blood on the rooftop and all that stuff. And I remember like my first exposure to comics as a medium that I wanted to work in was independent comics. It was never Marvel. I think Marvel and DC were just like staples. They were just around. But like I remember it was independent comics that got me into it. And um, I always wanted to be a comic book artist because I like to draw. So, and um you know, people say, "Well, why were you you're into animation?" Uh, that's so odd that you weren't, you didn't want to be in animation as a kid. And I think a big reason for that was that animation is expensive. Yeah, yeah. You know, like comics are incredibly cheap to make. You know, and they're and and growing up in, in the hood, like, you know, comics were like sixty five cents. You know, yeah, you get them at yeah. the before direct market. They were available everywhere. You can go to the spinner racks and the bodegas and corner stores and newsstands. You can get them everywhere. You know, there weren't any comic specialty shops, you know, that you had to go to to buy them, you know. Now they're hard to get. You have to go to a comic store to buy comics. But yeah. back then, they yeah. were way more available. So, you know, growing up in the hood, like, that stuff was available to me. And, um, you know, they don't sell light boxes in the bodegas in the hood. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> you know, like, that stuff's expensive. Like, animation was like magic. It was on TV. And if it was on TV, it was unattainable to me, you know. So... Comics was my thing. It was easy. You fold a piece of paper, draw a couple of boxes, and boom, you know. Yeah. Um, it was like a cheap, cheap form of artistry for me to get easily get into. So by the time I turned like 17, when I graduated high school, I said, I want to be Jim Lee. This was the era of Image Comics, right, you know, yeah. 1992, 93. Like Image, I just, you know, the top guys at Marvel just broke off and they were hot shots. They were like rock stars, you know, making, selling two million copies of you know, a month, and, like, they were, like, in their early 20s, and you know yeah. what I mean? Like, I wanted to be that. Joe Matarero ruined it for everybody, and, oh. you know, drawing, you know, Deadpool at 17 years old while yeah. he's still in high school. Like, that was the hype for me, you know? I wanted, that was the lifestyle I wanted. And how much were you aware of those guys? Like, their lifestyles, and, like, what they were up to, and how old were they were? Well, I didn't know any of, of that stuff, you know, because... I mean, back then, comics were, you know, you, we were still regulated to the news section, and they only had like five or six letters that were accepted to be printed in the back of those comics. But I knew from the interviews that these guys were young, um, and they were like, you know, in their late 20s. You know, Jim Lee and Mark Silvestri, those guys were in their late 20s. Mm-hmm. That was old to me, because I was like yeah, 17. 17, but, yeah, yeah. You know, um, that I just knew, like, that's what I wanted to do, like, to have a career, to just sit home and just draw, like, superhero comics for a living like it was around that time at image that i was like you could actually make a living doing this 
know what I'm saying? And Marvel and DC, you know, they had their offices in Manhattan. So, you know, the idea of getting, the dream of getting your sample pages put together, bringing your portfolio to the Marvel, you know, studio and then looking at it. Were you then, aware that they were making it in Manhattan? Yeah, yeah, for okay, sure. Right. Their office was on, I think, 27th Street or 28th Street on Madison. Um, yeah, yeah, they were, they were, you know, it was, it was cool, you know, to do that stuff. Um, but then sometime after I graduated, um, you know, all of the stuff's overlapping. I started to get exposed to an, uh, uh, animation from Japan. Um, and I think like right around that time that Joe Mad was the hype, like I just wanted to, I knew that I, I think animation from Japan was what really got me into animation. You know, like I didn't want to like work for Disney or any of those guys, my direct connection to animation was television animation and VHS. Why didn't you want to work for Disney? Was it like you really didn't want to work for Disney or you just weren't I just, interested? I just in weren't interested in those characters. Like, I appreciated the art. But like, here's a good example. Like, there are certain Disney movies I don't like. Like, I don't like Pinocchio. I didn't like, well, I didn't like Pinocchio. I didn't like Dumbo. I didn't like Snow White. Pinocchio is my favorite film. <laughs> <laughs> I, those, those, those films didn't really... You know, back then, I was only motivated by things that made me want to draw. So I, I wasn't really impressed with those films as characters. What impressed me about Disney films was the later films, like The Sword in the Stone and Robin Hood. Like, those movies, those two films were like my, and Jungle Book, like, those are my favorite movies from Disney because they feature characters that look like real people. And, like, yeah. you know, The Sword in the Stone with the, you know, like, it was just really, really cool. Like, I thought that was cooler than... And even 100 Dalmatians, like, I just liked the fact that they were animating, like, people that sort of looked realistic, you know, yeah. realistic, like, you know, so. Um, but most of the Disney stuff I wasn't into. So when anime fell into my lap, as I knew it, you know, my buddy had gotten a copy of this VHS tape that had, like. Which one was it? Dude, it was like a VHS tape collection of just openings from animated TV shows in Japan. It had the Giver and Dangayo. It had one episode of Dangayo, one episode of yeah. Bubblegum Crisis, Moonlight Rambler. That's how I got exposed to Mosami um, Obari. Mosami Obari was like my first like introduction to like yeah. anime as I knew it. And he had done uh, Moonlight Rambler episode of uh, Bubblegum Crisis and he had done Dangayo. And were, and you, were you aware that it was Obari that... No, I had no idea. Didn't I didn't start getting into production credits and directors and following their work until like the late 90s. You know, when anime boom, like, really, really hit, you know, because I was watching these things around 89, 90, you know, these cartoons on VHS, and they weren't even dubbed. They were just, like, I would just watch these VHSs, and yeah. it was the intro to the Guyver TV series, like, and I just, City Hunter, yeah. uh, Stardust Memory, like, I remember this VHS, like, vividly, because it was the thing that I would watch over and over and over, and I was just blown away, like, how there was such a sophisticated level of artistry and art direction and America didn't know about it. I was like, why aren't we doing this stuff? And I just kind of got enamored. And it was just the design, you know, and the approach and the buildings and the characters and the folds and the clothing and the bio armor, the electricity effects. And, you know, like Disney wasn't doing any of that stuff. And I think my love for comic books mixed in with that sort of like limited animation quality of TV anime. I just, I don't know, I don't know if it makes any sense, but it just, it just felt right to me as a kid, you know. Yeah, it totally makes sense. It's, I think it's a lot of the same things that probably att attracted me in ways to animation. Yeah, most exactly definitely. Yeah, time. yeah. I mean, I think my first introduction to, well, to like feature length anime was like Fist of the North Star and Akira. Oh, yeah, that was the first man. two films I saw. Oh. But before that, it was um, 
it was uh, Samurai Pizza Cats and Mysterious Cities of Gold. Where it had a kind of, you know, I didn't know it at the time, but it was like a French kind of French-Japanese right, right, right. co-production thing. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, Samurai Pizza Battle Cats. Of, Battle of the Planets. Oh, Battle Gatcha of the Planets, Man. Gotcha yeah, yeah, Man. That's yeah, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah, so yeah. I was really, I think, you know, I think the limited animation quality of, of, of TV animation production and anime was sort of a perfect mesh for me as far as the still image, the line art, the inking, the coloring, but it was moving yeah. for me, those old shows. And I think that was most appealing to me and why I was more into that than, say, you know, drawing a foot of animation for one week, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's everything on ones and stuff, you know, so. But all those things that you mentioned um, are kind of almost like the details of it, right? And now you're uh, a series creator. Mm. Uh, well, not yet. I'm, I mean, uh, yeah. I'm a series pilot creator. I mean, <laughs> maybe one, yeah. one step at a time. But no, you, I, I know what you mean. You're a producer, director. Right. You, know, you have to deal with things on a slightly more like, on a bigger level. Right, on a corporate level, right, right. Yeah, uh, but I mean, also on a level of story and character and yeah. all that kind of stuff. And that is a million miles away from the electricity effects and, yeah, the yeah, and all that yeah, kind of stuff. True. And it's like, how did that transition take place? Like, where you've moved from, you know, that's, that's some wicked poses. And I really like, you know, the way the, you know, the muscles, you know, are rendered really realistically on this character to, I'm going to create this series uh with uh characters that people can believe in and invest in and uh and really get into i think it was just a a combination of circumstance you know like i copied a lot of people you know i copied so much stuff i used to you know freeze my monitor and just you know i'd watch cartoons and anime so much i get so enamored in these characters and i think there was several parallels that were happening in my life as I had taken from one job to the next. And all of it was rooted in, in independent creation. You know, I think Image Comics played a huge role mm. in my belief that I can create my own stuff, you know. Um, and I think as I, as I kind of like, as I gained more experience and got higher in, in, in positions, I'm around people who, are, who used to be in those positions or are in those positions, yeah. or with people who are trying to get into those positions. And when you're constantly in a sort of, that sort of creative trifecta, you know, you become, a, you become, you know, a mentor, you become a competitor, and you become a student. Yeah. And you're in this constant, like, so I was always in a situation where I had this three-pronged creative relationship. I always had a mentor who was doing what I wanted to do. I always had someone who was on my level or whatever you want to call it, like a peer who we were both trying to achieve the same thing. So we were charting and monitoring each other's progression. And then I always had someone who was trying to get to where I was, you know, that I could like talk to and be like, you know, so I was like getting information, sharing information and then like um, getting information, exchanging information and then providing information at different levels. And I think, you know, when when you factor in the different shows I've worked on, each place I've gone, I was always in a position to like steal or borrow or learn from. You know, and even now with this project, like I've never done anything like this before. So, so this project that you're talking about, yeah, Cannonbusters. Yeah, it's this project, Cannonbusters, is a, a comic that I tried to do that was stuck in a back burner for a while, and chance opportunity allowed me to create a trailer right around the time that crowdfunding became big, and I used that window to do a pitch publicly and we got funded. So we're at this point now where, yeah, now I'm in a position to manage talent or to, you know, 
get good talent to believe in me and to follow what it is I'm trying to do. And, and, and that, that place of arrival came from working on shows like The Boondocks, working on Legend of Korra, moving to Korea, like learning, you know, you know how these things worked. I was always in a position where I, these are the things I would like to do or what I want to do. And then when it happens, I'm like, oh, okay, that's that's how it feels, you know. And then I move on to the next thing. So it was, I think it was an overall progression in the last ten years. It's 2015, you know. I moved to LA in 2004, um, and between 2004 and now, I've done a good amount of projects, working with various different skill sets, and you know, learning and stealing from people. So, you know, I've arrived at a point where. Um, like you said, now I'm at a point where I'm producing and so on and so forth. But even that is not by way of conventional method. You know, like there was no producer or director who gave me this opportunity to make this the way it normally is. Like you work at a studio for a few years yeah. until someone handpicks you and then puts you in a position to direct a feature film. I was always kind of like, nah, this is what I want to do. You know, so when you ask that question, it's harder, it's a bit of a complicated answer because. Yeah, I mean, I guess what I was. What I was getting at was like you you moved from from doing art to writing this series. Like, how have you managed that, and like how how's you that know, process been? It's kind of like everything in the in in the last ten fifteen years of my life is just kind of like happenstance. You know, like the only reason why I'm writing this Cannon Busters thing with, the, with my co-writer Eric Calderon is because I had tried to write the comic book years ago. Yeah. So I always knew what the story was going to be. So by the time it was, I was in a position to write a script based off of that, I was able to take a specific... You know, when I wrote the... Just to backtrack a little bit. When I wrote the comic book for Cannon Busters, um, it's a funny story behind that. Um, my, I have a really good colleague, a talented writer-artist named Brandon Graham. He's pretty popular and, and, mm. and, and on, the, on the West Coast as a comic artist. He's done like... You know, King City, and he's you know re, he revamped Profit as a writer and stuff like that for Image Comics. And I kidnapped him one time in my Bed Stuy apartment in Brooklyn for like three days, and I came up with these ideas for these characters. And he was just kind of there, like like eh, that's cool, oh, not really, you know, kind of thing, bouncing ideas off. And so, I, but when I went off to write the story, I had already planned the book to be six issue miniseries, and I wrote each issue like. Each panel, and each panel was like a paragraph long of what was happening on each page. And I did that for, for six issues. So I had written the story from beginning all the way to end. And when it was time for me to write the, the comic, to write a pilot, having worked on so many screenplays for so long, it was easier for me to kind of like say, okay, so how would I condense the comic story that I want into a 10-minute short or a 10-minute pilot. I took a specific moment in the story that I thought would be the best way to introduce the characters and then condense that into a screenplay. But I'm not a screenwriter. I would like to be, but I'm not a screenwriter. So it was smart for me to uh, uh, um, partner with a, uh, with a more experienced writer like Eric Calderon. Eric Calderon, is, um, he's worked on a bunch of things, but his most notable work was he was a co-writer and a the co-producer on Afro Samurai. And I met him during season one of The Boondocks, and then we just stayed in touch over the years. And then this opportunity happened. He reached out to me and was like, yo, this is great. You're doing this campaign. You know, congrats. You know, do you have a writer working with you? You know, would you be interested in us maybe meeting? And, you know, you know, I, you know, basically a pitch. Like, I, I got some ideas. I would love to, you know, if if it works out, you know, we should write this together. And I said, sure, why not? You know, I trusted Eric. He had a lot. He has lots of experience, 
you know, working on anime production. So when I finally met Eric in person, I had this whole like legend of a story, like all six issues outlines, like pages upon pages of material. So the, so the pilot is actually what the six issues condensed. The, no, the pilot is one moment. Oh, okay, right. Okay, actually, the you. pilot is the beginning of issue three. Okay, right. Yeah, I yeah, got yeah. you. And I, I just took you. it and condensed it into one storyline because yeah. when you're selling a show based around three characters, um, it would behoove you to have those three characters in that pilot. But I wanted to create a, a pilot that could work within the scope of the story that we can use in the event that we go to series. So the way the story starts, Sam is on her own. Yeah. So by the time she meets Philly, the kid, and Casey, it's like the third or fourth issue. So I figured I'd tell the story in the form of like a Tarantino. Like the story yeah. starts five days later, and then the next two issues we go backtrack. So it was like it kind of worked out in that way. Yeah. And I had an outline. I pitched it to Eric. He threw the outline back at me. We played tennis a little bit, and then he came to me with the first draft, and then I rewrote the second draft, and we just kept ten, you know, playing tennis. So that was the experience right in the project, you know, um, and it was a huge learning experience for me, you know. Um, so, but with this cannabis thing, it's been something that's been bubbling at various stages of production over so many years. Like it was a comic, and then I went to Korea, and I had to condense the comic into animated form. You know, when I created the trailer with Kim Ki Do that I showed in Soul Sessions, you know, that was my first experience translating the material from comics to animation. So then three years later, when it was time for me to do After Black Dynamite Seasons 1 and 2, I had a clear idea of how I would condense this. You know, so it wasn't like, okay, here's the comic, now here's the script. Like, it took me a few years to, like, figure out how to condense this. And then a little bit of pressure and a deadline and figure it out, you know. Figure like, out, I, couldn't, yeah. I, couldn't, I couldn't, you know, mess around, you know. Yeah, so, yeah, you know yeah, what yeah, I mean? Yeah. So, sorry, that was a complicated answer, but it was like, it's the first time someone asked me that question and I had to, like, really think about the <laughs> stages of, like, how it got to that point, so. I think it's really interesting, though, like, um, a lot of animators are coming from a place of... Um, uh, being a designer to being a story artist or being a writer or whatever and that is like those are two skill sets that don't necessarily cross over uh, I mean they do cross over in you know in the reality of animation but there's no reason why you should be good at both of those things I mean, but I guess that your experience with like storyboarding well I, I wanted to ask do you actually do because I mean you do a lot of things like designing character design illustration storyboarding do you actually animate any scenes I, as well? The last time I've animated anything was when I was living in Korea. The closest I get to animating is fixing key animation. Okay. You know, that's probably as far as it's gone, but I haven't done any key animation in some time. I think the last time I'd done, like, a job as an animator was when I was on Lizzie McGuire. And then throughout various stages of production, because I'm a supervisor, we'll get, like, keyframes or layouts. And okay. just, like, I would literally, like... You know, I could I could animate. I'm pretty sure. I think the last time I'd done uh, like real animation was I did an animatic for ADHD, the first episode of Axe Cop, mm. um, and that's the last time that I was like actively like animating on something, doing like an animatic. But you know, how, how did you learn animation? It was just trial and error, yo. Like I got hired as an anim an assistant animator on Lizzie McGuire TV show for Disney. I don't know if you've ever seen that show, I but. Seen it. It's an animated, it's a live action TV show starring Hilary Duff and she's a character living a high school life and she has an alternate personality where when she goes into the alternate personality, it's like a crudely drawn version of herself, a caricature of herself. And that animation was done in New York City at a studio called Tape House Tunes. And there was a producer at the time who had got wind of my work and brought me on as an assistant. So I learned the, the bones of animation 
um, through that project. I was in a clean. I was an in between artist, a layout artist, right. a mouth so check artist. Yeah, I had to do the whole process for like a year and a half. So, um, and then. But you could draw before then, I guess. Oh right? yeah, you I was. Can... I was trying to be a comic book artist at that yeah. time. You know, yeah. so. Uh, so have you got any of your original, like your first line tests? I've got some Lizzie McGuire stuff. I've shared some of my stuff. I have an old have backlog. Have you got any really bad stuff? Huh? Have you got any really bad stuff? I mean, I thought all that Lizzie McGuire stuff was bad. Oh, really? <laughs> but I think that that's so funny that there's just this, 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 this notion that artists who are really good or accomplished don't like to talk about their old work. But I was never that kind of guy. I, I, I was always kind of self-deprecating in that manner that... I like to share share my old work. I, I, but I, my first sketchbook was around 2005 called Nervous Breakdowns. And it's just like a almost nearly 300-page book of just my drawings from 1995 to... I was like 21. Like my drawings from when I was 21 to, you know, uh, uh, to 31. And I remember Jeff Matsuda, you know... Um, you know, accomplished producer at the time working on Jackie Chan Adventures and he was on the Batman show. He was the guy, we had developed a relationship and I asked him to write my forward. And when he wrote the forward, one of the things in the forward was he was talking about fear and like the fear of, of not being afraid to show your old work, you know, and to show progression. So it's interesting, like that, that sketchbook was really about like embracing that. Like look at these really bad drawings when I was 21 and now by the time you get to the end of the book, it's like this is who I am now, you know? And I think it made it okay for me to sh- look at my old work because, because you know, you look so at my far. old work. Because, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't think of creativity as a competition. Like, that's why I don't like to compare myself to other people. Sure. It took me a long time to, like, learn that. But, like, I, I, I think learning, comparing your old work to your new work is, like, the best way. It's, like, the best sort of, like, mental therapy, you know? Because when you compare yourself to other people's work, it's almost like you're belittling their life experiences. Like you're trying to package the struggle that they went through into this one idea of what's good and not good, you know? So you, you can't bottle someone's life experiences. You can't say, oh, all that struggle and pain and family dying and all that stuff that shaped and molded who you are, you know, or whatever life, the terrible good or bad experience you've gone through that makes you this artist is accumulated you know, to this number of what's considered good, you know what I mean? Like, so for me, like, it's, you know, I, I always, I always fancied myself to like look at my old work and be like, all right, this is how far I've gone, you know? Um, so I'm, I guess the point I'm trying to make is like, that doesn't, I'm not necessarily a guy who tries to avoid my old work. And I kind of look at it and be like, oh, snap, haha, I remember that. <laughs> like, look how bad that is. Like, you know what, you know, Wesley, you did something, you had something in your, um, on your line website where you showed your old homemade comic books of right. Super Turbo Ninja <laughs> Rabbit. And yo, I did the exact same thing. Yeah. I, I'll have to find it. I think it's somewhere in an old backlog. I have a comic book called Power Rulers. Yeah. I drew it when I was like, maybe in the sixth grade. You know, I was like 11 years old. Okay. Power it, rulers. Power rulers. And what it was like, what's that cardboard brown paper that you like fold in half? Yeah, and I, yeah. would like, I would draw like, like 12, 15 boxes. And it was just a violent comic of like these <laughs> yeah, yeah. two kung fu dudes with like pompadours. They look yeah. like the guy from the kung fu, the kung fu master, I mean, the, 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 the kung fu video game. You know, the guy that's like walking in the side and he's kicking. And then, and it's, it's, I forgot the name of that video game. It was like, uh, Vigilante? Not Vigilante. It was, I can't. So, Streets of Rage? Not Streets of Rage. It was yeah, an arcade game. It's from oh. the 80s. It was called Kung Fu uh, or Karate. I don't know if it's Karate Master or Kung Fu, but anyway, um, it, it was inspired by that video game. But it was just two brothers that were like Kung Fu masters, and they had like pompadours, no shirts, yeah. baggy pants, like the Shaw Brothers, you know, 
martial arts films and it was incredibly violent yo like like yeah. i had that red marker i was just going ham <laughs> and like blood everywhere yeah. um but i have one of those comics like drew like that so yeah. when i saw the super turbo ninja rabbit homemade comic where you came up with the idea yeah. i was like oh my god like this guy does the exact same thing but i have those books and i look i would look at it from time to time just to like see like this is what i was drawing in 1986 because i remember being i was like 11 in 1986 yeah. and like this was what I was doing in 86. And then, like, I remember what I was doing in 1988. There was a TV show on Fox around 1988 called Werewolf. And I was so infatuated with that show. And I, like, did my own homemade werewolf comic book. Like, it was, like, much better than Power yeah. Rulers. And Power Rulers was, like, uh, a run on the on the gang name, Pyrus, or Pyrus in the Bronx at the time. So, um but I would look at those bad drawings all the time and just be like, yeah. oh my God, this is hysterical. Like, but even back then I look at it and I could see the form or like like I kind of knew what I was doing yeah, even at yeah, six yeah. years old. I've been watching so many cartoons at the time, you know. So so my my old artwork I try not to hide too much. I kinda I kinda embrace my old stuff. I think that I think that old stuff for me is like actually is like technically I was I'm not as good as I am now, but it's the most fun I've had, like, you know, creating stuff. You just Taking everything you love and just throwing why, it together. Why, why do you think it's so fun compared to now? I don't know. I think maybe because I guess I'm working it. So it's like as soon as you, you, I don't know, for me, you bring it into the realms of work. It's like you're hitting deadlines and stuff. Whereas then it's like you're not thinking about it. It's not for anyone. You're just kind of, I mean, that's for me personally. You're just yeah, doing yeah, it. Yeah, and it's yeah. just like free flowing. You're not thinking about, you're just having fun with it. Yeah, and um, yeah. yeah, I guess, you know, you know, I guess, with, you know, when we, do projects online we kind of try to do films that you know they're not commercial but they're like you know self-initiated projects and that's where we have the most fun i guess yeah but, um, yeah yeah it's interesting yeah yeah, so, yeah you know I, you, you get so inundated by rules and stuff like that yeah you just yeah. constant pressure to do good work and yeah when yeah. you're young you're just like who are you trying to impress yeah you just know, do you it just yeah yeah exactly i think that was that's what exactly what was cool about super turbo atomic ninja rabbit was that it felt like you'd bottled that Enthusiasm, yeah, yeah. energy. Yeah, I mean, Super Turbo Atomic Ninja Rabbit. Like when that thing came out, man. Like I was talking to so many cats about that, and everyone was just like unanimously, like, "Oh my god!" Like this guy did it. Whoever did this, they bottled it. They bottled my childhood oh my god, inside yeah. of a like, inside of like a few seconds. Like it's it's like how did like how did he do it? Like who is this person? You know, like and and we get it. Like to me, like a big part of it was like so many of those shots were from like. You know, maybe they were borrowed from Bionic Six. There were definitely some homages to Thundercast intro, yeah, like the tracking pans yeah, and falling yeah, into frame, yeah. and the the roll call team up shot from yeah. far away and stuff like that. But like, even the song itself is like yeah. the tempo, the, yeah. the 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 voices, the, the 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 beat, the pacing. It just felt really like, yeah. you know, it felt like you had a lot of fun when you were but, doing yeah, we that. Definitely did, you know. But, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, even when I was doing, you know, when I was working on the Cannon, but when we were developing the Cannon Buses pilot, um, you know, I, I had this post-it like that I kept for a while. It fell off. It's lost now. It's probably under my desk somewhere. But for a good a good period, it was like just this these a list of things, keywords that reminds me of like why I'm doing it, like what's dope about this, what's fun about this, and I would go back to it all the time, and it saved me a couple of times because yeah. you know it's real easy to get off the path, you know, when you have full control, you know, so yeah. you can forget why something is funny or why something is cool or why something is fun because 
you know, you have this idea in your head of what's what's dope when you are by yourself. But as you know, when you start to involve other creative people, it becomes way more. It can becomes it becomes something else. You yeah. Know? So. Yeah. You know, instead of me trying to wrestle with losing control because there's so many new voices attaching themselves to a project, I just try to stick to the core spirit of what it is, and it it it, all, it existed in a few key words of what it is that I wanted, and there were references to other shows. You know, because when I when I name shows, I have a instant feeling of, yeah, you know what I mean, yeah. what what I what I feel, you know. So I always use those shows as example, like when I'm working on Cannon Buses, I'll I'll have like Final Fantasy three. It'd be, it like it'd be on the wall, and like you know, uh, my friend will come over and be like, "Well, what's this?" You know, and I'm like, "No, it's, it's nothing." But it would be like Final Fantasy three, Final Fantasy three, Chrono Trigger, Cowboy Bebop, yeah, Outlaw Star. Like yeah, it would yeah, just be yeah, like, yeah. like what yeah. do I feel when I think of these things? And I'm like, "Oh, yeah," you know what wow. I mean. So it's like sort of like a spiritual reminder of like what it is I'm doing instead of like, you know shackling myself to one particular idea it's like yeah. just trying to keep the spirit of that it's, it's just I don't know I, it's like a little reminder because it's easy to lose focus like you said when you have so many different different voices in your head telling you what it is and it's like when you have those reminders it kind of keeps you it, it reminds you of like where you're going with it like yeah. no it's not that it's this you know so yeah. what's your day today what's your day like you, oh man you wake up early do you finish late it's like, been sporadic I mean you know this year 2015 is is it's been a crazy year for me, you know, because at the start of January, it's been riding on the pressure to deliver my first thing, this yeah. ten minute pilot, you know. So, it's also the first year in a long time that I freelanced, you know. So I wasn't working in house at a studio, you know. Once we got the project going and the schedule was set up, I knew I was going to have several long trips, you know, this year. You know, I was going to be in Japan for a period of time. I was going to be in Abu Dhabi. I was going to be in Montreal. You know, I was going to, you know, so... And those trips were to do with Cannon Buses? Yeah, they were all related more or less to Cannon Buses, either talking about it, promoting it, or working on it. And um, and that's freelance work, or that's... Well, that, I'm just saying, like, there's no way I could be in-house at a studio and take those days off, you know what I mean? So I made a decision to be freelance so that I could work freely. I purchased a 13-inch Cintiq, put companion Cintiq that no matter where I was, I'm 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 freelancing because I still need to pay the bills. So and my freelance was mostly storyboard work. So I knew that I'd be freelancing while I'm working on this project because the Cannon Buses, although I had a budget, I wasn't paying myself. You know, like all the money went into the pilot. Yeah. So what, what so, sort of work have you been doing? All storyboard work. For you know, uh, animated TV, TV shows. I was right. working on um, Ultimate Spider-Man, um, I think season four. Cool. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy, season one. Um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles season four. Mm-hmm. So between January and now, I've been working on those three different shows. Um, and then I just recently did some work for um, another company that I can't reveal yet, this NDA, and I'm yeah. potentially going to be starting work on another project, um, also NDA. Um, but this year has been primarily freelance storyboard work, you know, and my savings, so so that I can have the freedom to. You know, just go to Japan and be there for a month or a month and a half or a week sporadically. If I had to fly over there, I could just go over there and do it and work with the staff and stuff. So, and you find that pretty easy to work remotely as a story. Uh, so far, it took me two months to get used to working from home. I'm so used to getting up, going to the studio, having a routine. And when I started working from home, it was it was difficult because I wasn't used to having that kind of free time. I was like, oh, there's my couch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I, can, I could for real. I could take a nap. Okay, you, you know, you, I'm gonna take a nap, and you, I would do that. I would wake up yeah. late, or like I'd wake up early and be like, "Oh my god, I'm late!" And then I'm like, "Oh wait, wait a minute!" Like 
there is no work. Like, yeah. I can start, like, in three hours. Let me go back to sleep. Or I would wake up and I'd, like, meditate or I'd do, like, a morning jog. Or I would have, like, my LaShawn time before I started work. Yeah. I, that Usually that first 10 o'clock to 12 noon was me preparing myself to be in a studio. Yeah. So, but now it's, like, me preparing myself to just be myself so that I can work. So I'd, like, get up, make a stroll to the local cafe, have a caf- a coffee, surf the web, like preparing myself to have my time to sit down and actually work. And then around two o'clock, I'd have a bite to eat and then I'd take a nap or I'd like meditate. And then like, you know, like three or four, I'd work until like eight or nine o'clock and then I'd go to bed at 11. Like it was really, it took me, wow. it was really, really weird, you know? I and I learned that my, I learned that like my eight hours are still eight hours and I can still get my sleep. You know what I'm saying? Okay, but, right, so right, it, right. It, it's just, you know, how you compartmentalize it. Because when you're working from home, you know, there is no checkout, you know. So it took me a long time to, like, get used to my routine. So when you ask me what's my day-to-day, like, it's changed from January to now, you know, with all of these trips factored in, you know. So um, the meditation stuff, is that something that you've always done? Or no, that it's like something recently? that I definitely I recently acquired because I'm getting old, you know. And I don't want to die from high blood pressure and stress. Yeah. So, um, you know, my my girl got me into it. And um, it's just breathing meditations. You know, it's you know, mindful meditation. You know, my, my brain is cluttered with a lot of stuff. So it's, I'm not trying to block anything out, but just like be okay with the thoughts and then keep it moving, you know. So that's helped me out a lot, you know, jogging, running, doing calisthenics. These are things that I didn't have time for when I was working at a studio because I'd be I'd be at a studio all day, and then I couldn't actually get any work done until 6 p.m. because everyone's gone and was interrupting me, and I'd work to like 12 a.m., you know? So being at home, I, I'm like healthier, I'm, I'm eating healthier, I'm, you know, I'm sleeping regularly, and my productivity is incredible. I'm like actually better producing because I've been making more time for myself, and I got that by, you know, creating a sort of me-time schedule, you it's, know? It's so interesting that you're saying that because, you know, it feels like even when I see you online and see your work, it feels like you're just always busy. So I just think to myself, does this guy, he must like work from like 8 a.m. to like, <laughs> you know, 11 at night or something yeah, like that. Because no, no, I'm I'm that's how I kind of work working here. I'm like working all day long and it's just like, now I'm burnt out. But you yeah. seem like you're very productive. And yeah. so I was quite surprised. I'm quite surprised to hear you say that, you know, yeah. you split your day up in that you way. Know, well, you know, I... You know, I did that, what you were saying, you know, um, working at the studio all day, but I'm always in front of a computer. I'm always like interacting in between work, surfing, you know, on Facebook, taking breaks, five minute breaks, doing your thing, you know. Um, It hasn't really changed with an iPhone. I'm still still moving around. I'm still doing my thing and I'm still working. But there's a there's a dark period. There's a time where there's there are no tweets from LaShawn. For like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. eight hours. Yeah, That's probably yeah. when I'm sleeping. You know what I mean? Okay, Between right, six right. to eight hours, you, I'm like you. passed yeah. out. But yeah. there's been plenty of times where I've had to, you know, um, uh, work late, and you know, I'll stay up to like three or four. I'll overcommit. Mm. I overcommitted a couple of times this year. So yeah. it, you know, I stumbled a little bit with my yeah. schedule. Overcommitted, which forced me to do maybe a all nighter. Yeah, yeah. You know, which is something I vowed to not do anymore. Yeah. You know. Right. Yeah. But. Right. Um, you know, I've had to do them. And then with these trips back to back, you know, I was just in Tokyo last week and now I'm in L.A. Yeah. I mean, now I'm in London. Yeah. Um, and then I'll be in LA, L.A. next week. And then I go back to Japan in December. Like, there's just a lot of, you know, that yeah. I, you can't predict those schedule changes where yeah. you're dealing with yeah. jet lag and your time is off. So, yeah. That's really you know, when, when, when you ask me what's my schedule like, there's, there's nothing consistent. But I would say for the most part of the year, I've been pretty much waking up having my me time 
working for three, four hours, taking a break, taking a nap, meditating, and then working another five hours and then going to sleep. And that could be, doesn't have to be the same. It could be, you my five hours could be from eight to one, you yeah. know, or something like that, you know. There's been a few times where I'd wake up at like six. I had this period where I was just always waking up at six on a dot in the morning. Six a.m. Yeah. yeah, and I just okay. felt like, damn, by the time lunch rolled around, I got a lot done, yeah, you yeah, know. It's just done. So, yeah. um, you know, you have a podcast, you just hear voices in the morning while you're working, yeah. you know, warm-up period, you got your coffee, and by the time noon, you're like hot, like you're in your zone, you know. Whereas I used to wake up at like nine ten, and I wouldn't get in my zone until after lunch. Yeah. And then you got a stomach full of food. You're like, Ugh, you yeah, gotta warm yeah. up again. You know, yeah. so it's like training, right? You gotta like condition yourself to be able to be to touch the stream of good drawings yeah. for a good six hours straight. You know, and a lot of that has to do with your preparation in the morning. Yeah. You know, so it's so weird. Do you find time to like? Because I mean, I was speaking to you yesterday, I was still asking you about like kind of what do you find time to watch series? Because like. I know there's a lot of stuff out there that I really want to watch. So I've got like a backlog of like anime series. And you mean like content series. that you're watching? Yeah, right, but right. like, you know, to kind of get inspired by it, but I just never feel like I have the time. So do you, how do you fit that in as well? Because you were saying to me, he's watching, uh, what's the, oh, I'm forgetting the names of things now. One um, Punch thought. Man? Yeah, One Punch Man and the other one with the, he's got the varsity jacket with the star on his back. Uh, space dandy, space dandy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you were saying that he's watching that kind of stuff. So yeah, um, you know, it's it it you know it really depends. Like you know, most of the time I'm watching shows when I work. You yeah. know, subtitle shows I can't watch when I'm working, obviously, because yeah. I, I can't watch animation when I'm working because I want to see the drawings. You know, yeah, so, but, well, yeah. for me it's a little different. Like, yeah, I have to stop if it's in Japanese and the subtitles. Then yeah, I have yeah. to stop what yeah. I'm doing to look at and read. You know, but. Most of the time, I just have on shows just as noise, and I'll have it on loop until I eventually find time to watch every scene and in succession. You okay, know right, I mean? right, like, right, I got you. Yeah. Did you feel like you could do this when you're working at the studio? Did you have stuff on? Oh, all the time. Yeah. I mean, you know, one of the cool things about, you know, I will say about pre-production in LA is that they've been really, really flexible about, as long as you're getting your work done, they don't really care how you do it, you know? Um, so even back as far as, like, working at... Um, Sony on, on Boondocks, you know, I had like a little portable DVD player that would be like right there next to my light box. Um, and I would just have like animes on, like Samurai Champloo, oh, I could like yeah. stop. I mean, I watched more television, you know, uh, once high, than I did uh, before high speed internet became like really, really like, okay, yeah. you know, you know, easy for like, you know, MySpace and Friendster and stuff. Once MySpace and social media and all that stuff started getting intense, then my watching time got just replaced with being on Facebook and Twitter. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, so you're yeah, still yeah, taking yeah. your time off to like not draw the focus of something else, but instead of watching a movie, you're like grabbing artwork or whatever. So, but I don't, I don't imagine they would do something like that in maybe like if you're working in Japan in a Japanese studio. No, I, I mean, I'm not. I don't want to rat on anybody, but 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 you know, when I worked with Tomas, like. You know, we 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 you know we'd be drawing and you know this, this is Thomas Romain. Thomas right, Romain, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he, um, you know, there's a few times when we worked with he'd be like surfing the web really quick and then get back to work. But Tomas is a machine. Like he's he 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 logs in a lot of hours. He logs in like real straight hours. Like he'll come in at he's a good example. He'll come in at like because he's married with two kids. Right. When I worked with him in in, in, in at Satellite, he'd come in at like. 10 o'clock on the dot and leave at 7.30 on the dot. And then have lunch for an hour. He'd like come in, do his time. Lunch will come. He'd, you know, we go off, grab lunch together with the rest of the crew, the, the French staff, and then work from like, you know, 
1 p.m. to like 7.30. And then leave, boom, all right, I'm, I'm going home, you know. Um, but I'm pretty sure there's some moments where he's squeezing in stuff. Because, you know, even when I'm in L.A., Tomas will be like tweeting from time to time, and yeah, like yeah. during work hours, either that's during lunch or you know what I mean. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. I guess my point is, is that he finds time. He finds to the like, time you know, to yeah, to as long as it works. Because yeah, sometimes yeah. you want to take a break, you can't just you, yeah, yeah. You know, also, yeah, it doesn't yeah, always absolutely. come out good. Sometimes you you know you, you got to take walk away from the table, you know, because you're not happy with your work all the time. So sometimes you're like, let me surf the web for a bit, and then all right, now I'm back into it. You know, so there's a guy that we um, normally get to work with, um, job, and he's like. He's like a machine as well, but he'll work. He'll get all his work done in like four or five hours. Yeah. And it's like high quality work and more than anyone else. I but yeah. I feel like all these people we're talking about at the moment are kind of outliers though. They're yeah. People who are just, you know, incredible talents. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just frustrating. It's like, you're sitting there. Yeah, they're, not, they're, not mortals, like, they're not mortals like us. But the thing is, you're looking at your, because I'm like. I'm talking about you as well. Uh, yeah, yeah. But we, like you're animating and stuff and you're looking at them, you're like, Oh, so that's what he's doing. So I'm going to go as fast as him, but I just can't, you know. So this is Jonathan Job Condo, yeah, yeah. right? So just watching him work, and he's like, he'll do it for like five hours, and he'll get all the work done. He'll do more than what you asked him to do, mm. and then for the next two, three hours, he's doing his own illustrations or on Facebook, whatever it is. Mm. And it's like you know, and it's it's it just still blows my mind that people can get so much work done in such a short space. Yeah. And, yeah. Then get, and then he goes home and like makes a comic and yeah. animates yeah. it. comes back here like and you see his Tumblr like yeah. 20 posts it's and stuff. Crazy. He's like, how did you find it? Because I did last night. Well, you yeah. know, the interesting thing about time management lately for me, you know, I guess in the last five years, I've been more of a uh, uh, supervising director. I've been directing okay. directors. And, and one of the main jobs of being a director you don't really get to work on your own individual scenes. They come few and far in between. Most of the time, you're correcting everyone else's stuff. Yeah. So, um, and when you work on these long-form TV shows where several episodes are being produced at one time, you know, at any given moment, you're getting a storyboard that needs to be redone or tweaked. You have to make notes on a storyboard. So, you know, um, I think that makes it easier for me to take breaks too. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I'm not yeah. like trying to come up with elaborate fight sequences on my own. You know, I'm like... Yeah tweaking someone else's work and just kind of like, uh, put the arm here or, you know, he should run in instead of walk in and that kind of mm -hmm. thing, you know. So I think it's easier for me, you know, lately, my body. And, it, you know, it goes back to what I was saying, like how I haven't really been drawing for myself yeah, lately. Yeah. I've been just so busy with f correcting work. I haven't had a chance to, like, sit down. And that's why I started doing those warm-ups earlier this yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah. kind of get used to doing that stuff. And And with that, it gives me free time to surf the web. So, yeah, it does seem like... I'm up 24 hours, yeah, but yeah, yeah. again, I have my down period for like six to eight hours where there's radio silence, you know, from from me online because I'm like passed out, you know. So yeah, I'm, I bet back home people are like, "This guy never sleeps" because I'm on a different time zone now yeah, between yeah, Japan yeah. and London. I'm, <laughs> you know, it seems like I'm never asleep. Yeah, you know? so yeah. Well, it definitely feels like that, you know. Yeah. When I see you online, but no, I'm normal, dude. Yeah, you know. <laughs> no, it's, you know, it's actually a great. Um, because once again, it's like you're saying when you meet people, stuff like you have this kind of idea of them when you see them online, but then when you actually meet them in person, it's like, oh, he's 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 afraid of this, or you know, he's doubting this, and you know, he wasn't confident about this, but he's gonna do. It. You know, it's yeah, it's yeah, nice yeah. to, even though yeah. really that's silly, because of of course you're a human being, but yeah, yeah. you know, but, you, you know, just it, don't you just see an idea of what yeah. you well, think this person they're is. They're all collected and, of highlight reels, right? They're yeah. just like highlight reels of a person's life. It's like these. 
you know, you put a succession of like four awesome photos over a span of a vacation in order. It's like, oh my God, this person is living a life. But, yeah. you know, yeah. you're but not getting up with a girlfriend on the same uh, vacation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just didn't share those. But photos. you're not getting. So you the lost photo. your suitcase at the airport. Yeah, yeah. But you're not getting a photo of you stubbing your toe and crying for a half hour on yeah, yeah. some rock by the ocean. Or you know what I mean? Like it's all like perfectly planned. You know. Yeah. So, yeah. Like social media for you, man. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So, um, and it's the same thing with art. Like, you know, I mean, just to kind of piggyback a little bit on like showing only your best work, you're just showing the highlight reels. Yeah. Some people really are just only a living highlight reel. Like Kim Jong Gi, like he's a living, <laughs> hi- that guy's a living highlight reel. Like he doesn't do anything <laughs> whack. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know? But uh, oh, you yeah. My mind. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. I've I've I once saw a job do a bad drawing, and uh, I've seen like. <laughs> Probably about three thousand drawings that the guy's done, I and I was correct, like, I had to correct a drawing of him. I was like, I said to him because he was doing this um, animation. I said, no, you do it like this. I said, I just corrected one of your drawings. He's like, yeah, hurt because he's French, right? right. He's like, yeah, yeah, it's never gonna happen again. Though. Right, he looked right. at me really seriously. Right, I was right, like, right. that's, Whoa. His, <laughs> you know what that's hysterical. <laughs> yeah, he was like, yeah, it's like. Just, just, yeah, it's not gonna happen again. Right, I was like, right, right. Yeah, that's probably hysterical. not. That's my moment. Let me have it. Right, know? right. That's so funny. <laughs> I wasn't even a correction. It was more just do it like this. But yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I guess one of the things that you seem seem to end up talking about a lot online is like what gets defined as anime. Uh, I mean, I guess your work gets uh, classified a lot of the time as anime. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> it's can of worms, right? We're going there oh, now. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> oh my god! This is like, uh, you know, it's it, it, the truth of the matter is, is that these arguments or these verbal disputes that I have online are usually with people who aren't as informed, and I usually spend more time. And, and, and I try to stay away from that as well. Like I, I try my best to not come off as someone who's educating someone. It's not my responsibility to be walking Wikipedia, you know, yeah. like if they're genuinely interested in learning how things are, they would take the time to do the research and yeah. study, you know, but a lot of times people just want to be told what it is, you know, you, a person sounds like they know more than you, then you're most likely going to believe <laughs> what they're saying, you know, so, no, you know, so, so for me, like, but, you know, that being said, like, this idea of what anime is, it's always related, in my opinion, to, you know, um, it's sort of, I, I and I talked about this. I had an interview. I did. I think I did an interview on. Um, I can't remember which website during the campaign. Someone asked me a similar question. They were like, "So, what do you consider anime?" And I was like, "Well, it's just a Japanese word for anime. It's a short. It's a Japanese short word for animation. Yeah, yeah. Anime is short for animation." Mm-hmm. And they were like, "Really?" And I'm like, "Yeah, man. Like, but to them, like, it's it's the it's the commercialized uh, accepted." term for other not American or animation from Japan. Yeah. No one in America that I've run into that's not in the industry, um, um, when they use the term anime, they use it as Japanese animation. Yeah. When they say anime, when, Ameri- when Japanese say anime, they just mean animation. Animation, yeah, yeah. You know, absolutely. Pixar, I mean, like, in, inside, inside Out is anime, it's anime in Japan. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, like, yeah. it doesn't matter. It's all anime to them. But we've, we've, we've kind of coined it as a, we've sort of turned it into a genre it's like saying yeah. it's like saying french literature yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean it's yeah. like really really bizarre you know um 
when I say anime, even I get caught up in it because I've been yeah. conditioned to believe that anime is this buzzword for animation I'm the from same Japan. As well. yeah, yeah. You know, but it really is just anime. So when people ask me, oh, you know, is your work anime? Then you get into the sort of the layered idea of what anime is. And I think that is or I think that originated with uninformed fans who want to protect their fandom by saying that anime that it's from Japan means that only Japanese people can make it in order for it to be labeled as that idea of animation from Japan, which we identify as the word anime, i.e. other. So, you know, when people say, oh, your work is not anime, I go, well, I have to answer you twice, and I'm not in the mood for that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, which, which, which version of anime are we talking about? Like, yeah. And it's almost always some person who's just like a consumer, you know, and yeah. it's like, I have to go into education mode. I think social media is, a, is, is, is prone to that. It's yeah. sort of like a sound box. You yeah. just write your point of view, and then people read it. But I've done that, you know. Um, I've had a discussion with a guy. And most of the times, just for the record, most of the times when I tweet things, it's not just me randomly thinking, oh, I had an epiphany. Let me do that. It's usually after I have a conversation with someone. Yeah. And it's sort of like a, a, a reminder. Like, by the way, anime is not a genre. Yeah, Drama yeah. is a genre. Science fiction is a genre. Romantic comedy is a genre. Anime is a medium. It's a storytelling medium for which these genres live within. You know, that's how I view it. In the Japanese term, you know, yeah. I mean, um, even in the English term, like even in the English term, exactly. Is, yeah, is yeah, yeah. it's exactly what I mean. It's, you know? it's like them. It's like Japanese being over there and calling Western. Yeah, it's, it's anime it, animation. Yeah, it's viewed you know as mean? other. You know, yeah, it's like yeah, yeah. It's, it's like a, well, you know, Korra is anime, and you know, you know, Adventure Time is a cartoon. It's like what? <laughs> it's anime in Japan too. You know, so yeah. um, I guess like none of these terms are really like. They're just words, they're, man. They're, they're just categories. You know? It's just, you've got to define your terms at the beginning of every conversation, I guess, and like they yeah. can be useful things in terms of promoting yourself. Yeah, yeah, or, yeah, yeah. I mean, some people use it as like a gimmick. I've seen people use that. the term American anime as a selling point, and that doesn't make any sense to me, because yeah. if I'm supposed to take that seriously, then it's like, okay, so it's American anime. That means that it's American animation not from America? Like, how yeah. does that work? Yeah, yeah. If we're using yeah. the term other as anime to describe from Japan, you can't have animation. Um, you can't have American animation from Japan. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, like, what are we saying here? Are we using it as a gimmick to sell something? You know, and by that, by that token, then I can understand that, that definition. Descriptors is what we're talking about. Descriptors, like things that we define as other or a category in order for us to identify with it. You know, when I came up, I was like, oh, it's anime, because that's how it was sold when the boom happened in the mid-90s, you know? But then as I got more educated, I'm like, oh, it's just, it's just you know, anime is it's, it's just a Japanese word for animation. And yeah. we look at it as like from Japan. Yeah. So, you know, I was talking to Jerome, uh, one of the um, founders of Animatsu, over there at Manga Entertainment. We had a similar discussion this morning over a cup of coffee and just basically saying, you know, Manga Entertainment is a distributor of animated shows from Japan. Um, and they've been doing it for 20 years. And yeah. we were having a discussion about that and just basically saying, like, you know, uh, it is a term largely uh, described as other. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, not American. So if you're going to call something anime, like, for example, um, there's a TV show or an online show called Ruby, yeah. online by Rooster Teeth, a very entertaining show. And it's been coined as American anime. Yep. Um, and I, you know, I don't know who coins it that, 
But I, I, to me, when I look at it, if I'm going by the official definition, that doesn't make sense to me. But when I look at it from a creative standpoint, because a bunch of guys in Texas that are making that, you know, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Um, I go, oh, it's anime influenced, you know. I like to use that term, anime influenced. Even when people describe my work, I'm always very clear about like it's influenced by animation from Japan. Yeah. You know, these are the shows that I'm exposed to. I like these styles. Um, um, I I don't. I'm not Japanese. I'm not from Japan. Yeah. Um, but, but I watch those shows and I'm influenced by them. But there's like a certain visual language, like there's certain things which are, you know, that you're definitely employing like in the work that you do. Like, for example, I always think of this thing where it's like if somebody's tired, they have like a teardrop coming out of their nose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah, yeah. people don't really know about that. In yeah, yeah. Well, and that's Japan, what makes it, and that's, that's like a thing. So, yeah, and that's a really good point. And that's what makes it so hard to like either be set directly on what it isn't because I understand why people feel that way. There are only yeah. certain tropes and stylistic approaches that I believe people associated with animated shows or content from Japan versus the United States, you know? So, but I, I mean, I, I don't get too wrapped up in the in the tizzy of all the um, the terminologies. You know, to be honest, I, and I say that to a lot of these young cats online when I talk to them, I say, listen, I'm, I mean, if, you know, just for the sake of, you know, terminology, like I'm, I'm creating an animated project, I'm directing, producing, and, and co-writing, writing a project with a studio a top animation studio in Japan that by your fan definition would be considered anime. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like yeah. I have Japanese guys making Cannon Busters. So if I want to, for the sake of that argument, I could say that, well, Cannon Busters is more anime than, you know, yeah. whatever the case may yeah, be. But yeah. we don't have those discussions. Like I don't have those discussions with Nishimoto-san or Tomas yeah, Romain. Yeah, like Tomas yeah. is French. He's a staffer at Satellite. He's got a bunch of French artists from Gobelins living in Japan working at Satellite. We don't sit around and wax poetic about what's considered anime or not. We're just like, oh, we've all got different styles. Let's work together on something cool. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. We don't have those discussions. We leave that a lot to the fan base. Like, once Cannon Busters got funded, I was on like 4chan and uh, Anipages and a couple of other sites, even on um, uh, Kotaku, for example. And you have this long argument about people like, because in the article, Kotaku said, you know, new anime being crowdfunded and they had Cannon Busters listed. And there's this long argument about the title saying, yeah, but is it anime? And then okay. there's this whole argument about like, well, anime is only anime if it's from Japan. And it's like, and then it goes back to this, you know, dog chases his tail argument about, well, it's, what it's, is anime? It, it you know? gets long pretty It gets quickly, long, right? it gets and old, it gets lost. And like, we don't have those discussions, you know? I actually saw like a similar argument. I mean, you know, I was introduced to uh, Felipe Smith's work. Yeah, yeah, super website. talented like, brother, yeah. He's incredible. And incredible, he's like yeah. the first kind of Westerner to make a successful, you know, manga in Japan. Yeah, for so, Kodachi, um, he's the first mangaka, right. foreign mangaka for yeah, so for Kodachi, he, yeah. Did he have... Um, a similar, I mean, was there any kind of resistance to his comic because he wasn't from? I'm, from not, Japan? Enti- I'm not entirely educated, but I would, I would, I would, I would err on the side of, of yes. Yeah. You know, I don't want to speak for the guy, but just yeah. based off of the interviews I've read with him, um, and him obviously not being there now, that yeah. he did face some opposition. But I don't know if they were the catalyst to him leaving. But I mean, with anything new, you're going to face someone. You know, some people don't like their ideas of things being shattered without their permission. So when you come in and you're just too extremely or too radically different. A lot yeah. of people are just opposed to that, you know. Um, 
you know, some people like their soul food made from black people. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. No, yeah. You know, I was at a restaurant in San Fran a long time ago. I went to this really dope soul food restaurant. It was all like, you know, Asians cooking the food. And, you know, this and I'm just is, like, the same with Caribbean. yeah, it's like, you know, I'm just like, what? Like, am I going to get mad? Yo, these collard greens are the bomb. I don't care. I don't care who made it. You know, like, who, where's the recipe? Who made this? You know, like, this is real good. There's actually a pizza place in them. I can't remember the name. Like, when we was in Japan with Tim and, and it was like the be- it's a margarita and it's the best pizza I've ever seen. Yeah, it's like, wow, like, 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 yeah, it's a know? really, really valid point. Like, yeah, if you've yeah. got the recipe for success and it's, it, if it looks like it, walks like it, and tastes like it, you know, what's the stress of trying to validate its, its authenticity, so to speak? Yeah. You know, I think people get enamored with the authenticity of things or the exoticness of things, you yeah, know. Yeah. So for me, like, when you say my work is influenced, so I have elements in my work, it's the things that I like most about that particular style, about way of being exposed to it at a young age, you know. Um, but, I mean, you can say that that's a good margarita because you know what a good margarita is. And you can say that's good soul food because you know what good soul food <laughs> yeah, is, right? Right, right, right. But somebody coming in from the outside who doesn't necessarily know what that that thing is and we were talking about it earlier on you can people can say like oh this is this is like the number three best thai restaurant in london or, you know <laughs> like, this right. like, like well, the number two best color grader in london or whatever you, know, you 4. have 4.5 yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have you you have these things that people say and then they can then they can sound like they know what they're talking about you right, know? And right, it's like, right right it's the same with somebody going to uh, a restaurant where everybody kind of looks like they come from the place you know where the where the food is made or whatever people feel like yeah yeah this is like home and, yeah you know yeah. I'm probably victim of the same thing you yeah know? for sure we all are, sure we yeah. all are. I mean yeah. you know it's what happens when you live in an area that's just very very diverse and lots of stuff is changing not only from cultural level but from a creative level too you know we're in this unique time period where you know um, nationalism is sort of fading out as far as creating content you know globalization is affecting things technology is connecting us as artists at a rate that faster than any other time in history, you know? And I haven't been alive long enough to, to and I know and I know that, you know, because of technology, you could have a drawing and upload it online and some guy in Belgium in his underwear eating cereal. Like, yo, that's dope. <laughs> like, that's unheard of, you know? That was science fiction to me in 1985, you know what I mean? But that's our reality now, you know? So, you know, everyone's getting involved and, like, animation in general. Like, I don't, because I, I work with, because I've lived in Korea, I'm working in Japan, because I work with so many different people, like I'm being exposed to different points of views from different regions that I, I, I don't have a nationalist idea about animation. I don't say American animation. I don't look at it that way. I can say American curriculum because there is a ceiling there. But as far as animation is concerned, like I don't look at it in those terms. If there's a guy that's dope in France... I'm not going to like not work with him because an American could probably do that job and I'm giving him a job because he's American. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm yeah. going to go to the guy in France because that yeah, yeah. dude could do that stuff that I want him to do and we Absolutely. can now. You know? So it's basically becoming a bit more of a meritocracy. Like, it, pretty much. Yeah. I, mean, at the, I mean, that's how. That's a very good way to put it. I view animation production as a meritocracy based off of my individual tastes at the moment. I could hire an American artist to work on my project, but if I can work with, you know, uh, Yukio Nishimoto or, or, or you know, or... or Tomas Romain because I want a guy who does a style you know I, I want a mech that looks like that guy who worked you know yeah. on Space Dandy yeah, yeah, yeah. why would I try and like spend all this money to hire someone who can't do it in the States 
and you know spend another six or seven months having him overcome his learning curve until he's copied the style good enough. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? When yeah. I could just hire the guy who's good at it. It's almost regardless it's of costing, isn't it? Yeah, oh, it's like it's like so for me like. And I think that's I don't think that's a bad thing. It just it doesn't mean that you know oh animation in the states is done. It just means that everyone else is getting involved, and you know they're doing good work, and it's forcing us to pay attention to them. You know the sky isn't falling; it's just expanding. You know a little bit more. So, um, how do we get to this point? <laughs> Just want to say uh, thank you to uh, Sam for inviting me on to uh, speak to the Sean. He knows that I kind it's of last time. <laughs> he knows I idolize this guy. Um, thanks for Tim for being away. Um, that created a perfect opportunity, and uh, thank you, LaShawn, for coming to talk to us, inspiring us, and uh, you know, just giving us some of your insight into the animation industry. Like I, I've definitely learned a lot, and you know, hope to continue learning from you and talking to you. Yeah, thanks again to LaShawn and be sure to tune in next week for the second part of the podcast uh, where we wrap it up. Thank you so much for listening. See you guys next week.